If you were to type Donald Trump into Google, which is the website that searches the internet, I'm not sure why you would want to do that, but if you did, you would find half a billion web pages at the moment. That was last week. Talking about Donald Trump. Donald Trump appears more times on the internet than Barack Obama, Queen Elizabeth, Michael Jordan, Muhammad, Buddha and Hitler all put together. The only person that comes anywhere near Donald Trump, okay, no one's even halfway close to him, but the only person who comes anywhere near to him is Jesus Christ. But even Jesus is 100 million pages behind Donald Trump. Last year leading up to the American election, there was a media frenzy. You couldn't turn on the news without hearing about the American election. And I'm just thinking, hey, I'm not American. I don't want to hear about it anymore. People were worried, weren't they? All over the world, people were worried because no one wants a bad leader. Hey, I'm not saying Donald Trump was a bad leader. I'll leave you to work out that for yourselves. But people were afraid because there was a perception No one wants a bad leader. Leadership matters. It matters for a country. It matters in a church. It matters at a school. It matters in a sporting club that you might be involved with. It matters in your workplace, doesn't it? A good or a bad boss can make all the difference. It matters in our families. Now, today we're thinking about God choosing a leader... For the nation of Israel, 3,000 years ago. And that might sound like a long time ago, and that might sound like a long way away. But as we look at these events today, which were just read for us, about God anointing this young man from Bethlehem, we're going to see that we can't help but be amazed at Jesus. We're going to see that these events, a 1,000 years before Jesus, are actually helping us to appreciate Jesus and the leader that he was. Now, in case you haven't worked it out, we're back today in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We started looking at it last year. We're now up to chapter 16. And look, I've almost forgot what happened in the first 15 chapters, and I was preaching it. So I'm sure we'd all like a bit of a reminder. Last year, I was invited by a young fellow from Church at Seven to watch an X-Men movie called Apocalypse. Uh, The problem is I had never seen any of these X-Men movies before, And apparently they're a series. And so I was watching it all out of order. I was watching the last one first. I didn't have a clue what was happening. Look, I'm flat out working out what's happening in a movie when I watch them in the right order, let alone the wrong order. It really does help to know what's come before and who's who. So as we hit 1 Samuel 16, what's come before and who's who? Well, 1 Samuel is after the Exodus, with Moses and the Ten Commandments, where God rescued his people out of slavery. Which means that the nation of Israel are now living in the promised land, okay, where Jerusalem would end up, around the Jordan River and so on. And they've been living there now a few hundred years. But it wasn't as good as they thought it might be. Everything was going badly, really badly. And that's because they had rejected the God who rescued them and they were living as if he didn't exist anymore. You might remember last year when we started 1 Samuel, we looked at the end of the book of Judges. And there was this terrible phrase in the end of the book of Judges. In those days, 
Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, the end of the book of Judges was like something out of a horror movie. It was terrible. And so by the time of Samuel, God has had enough. He's going to fix this mess. And at the start of 1 Samuel, we looked at this last year, God said that he would do that and he said how he would do it. This was in the words of Hannah, a barren woman who God helped her to have a baby. And at the end of her wonderful song where she's rejoicing in the birth of her son Samuel, who the book's named after, she says this and she's prophesying about the future. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, God is promising there to fix the mess and get rid of the evil people who are oppressing Israel. And he's going to do all that through someone called his anointed. Now, that's the first time this phrase turns up in the Bible, God's anointed. Anointed in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, the word for anointed is Messiah. Okay, you might have heard that word. That's where that comes from. Messiah just means anointed. When we get to the New Testament, which is written in Greek, the Greek word for anointed is Christ. Okay, so Messiah, Christ, anointed, pouring oil on someone's head. Those three words just mean the same thing. God has promised a Christ, a Messiah, an anointed one who will fix the problems of this world. And with that massive promise ringing in our ears at the start of 1 Samuel, you might think things would get better. But if you remember back to 1 Samuel last year, things actually got worse. Because instead of waiting for God's Messiah, instead of waiting for the person who God would send, Israel decided they wanted their own Messiah. They wanted to do it their own way. They wanted someone big and strong who could leave them into battle, lead them into battle and fight their enemies. And so God gave them King Saul. Do you remember Saul? He was tall. He was impressive. But he didn't obey God. And it was a disaster. Last year we had trouble with our NBN, as you do. And the company we were with couldn't fix it, so we switched companies, and now it's all working. Here things are not working, and so God is going to switch their king. He's going to give them a king who loves him and will do what he says. And so at the end of our 1 Samuel series last year, we saw God promise this. God said to, Samuel, to Saul in 1 Samuel 13, You acted foolishly. Samuel said, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, when this was said back in 1 Samuel 13, we didn't know anything at all about this person who God had chosen who would be after his own heart. We're about to meet him today. But back there we see it's time for a fresh start. It's time for a new king, a new king who will have a heart 
like God's heart. And with all that, we open up to 1 Samuel 16 and the reading that was read for us today. Verse 1, and follow on as I read. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, because that's what you anoint someone with. You anoint someone with oil and they hold it in a ram's horn. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So God tells Samuel to fill his horn with oil and go and find one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem. Now, we don't know much about Bethlehem yet, if we were reading through the Bible for the first time. At this stage in the Bible, Bethlehem is a bit of a nothing town. It will become famous because of this, because of this young person we're about to meet who will be anointed, who came from Bethlehem. You know, like people might hear about Bowral, because that's where Don Bradman grew up. Or people might hear about Narromine, because that's where Glenn McGrath came from, and his mum works down at Bunnings here. See, one day, people will call Bethlehem the town of David. People will know about Bethlehem because of this son of Jesse who we are about to meet. He will put Bethlehem on the map because, what, because of what he does. And in fact, we're going to find out that someone even more important will come from Bethlehem who will make Bethlehem even more famous. But Bethlehem isn't famous yet. And so the people of Bethlehem, hey, they're a bit worried that Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, is coming down to visit them. They think they're in trouble. It's like when the school principal announces that he's visiting your parents. What have I done wrong? Now, they're not the only ones that are scared with Samuel coming to visit them. Samuel is scared because the old king, King Saul, he's a troublemaker and he's still running around killing people. So everyone is scared. And you could read that. Did you notice the tension as Robert read it? I'll just um, read it. Follow on there from 1 Samuel 16, verse 2. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Then the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So this is going to be done undercover. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So after a tense start, Samuel now gets on with the business of finding out which son of Jesse it will be who will be God's new king. The first son of Jesse is paraded out. He's the oldest son. He's the most impressive. His name is Eliab. Samuel is suitably impressed. He thinks this must be the guy. But he's not the one. Have a look at verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, 
Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. See, that was the mistake they made with Saul. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God has not chosen Eliab. God has already selected someone out who will be a king after his own heart, and it's not this one. And as we read on, Jesse's second son comes out for the audition. But as it turns out, he's not the one either. Verse 8. Then Jesse's son, Abinadab, sorry, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then we get to Jesse's third son. And it's starting to sound a bit like 10 green bottles sitting on the wall. We're wondering how long this is going to go on. It's not him either. Verse 9, Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And so one by one, the seven sons of Jesse are paraded before Samuel until there's no one left. And we're starting to think, what's the problem here? What's wrong with them all? Verse 10, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he said to Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. But he's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Do you see Jesse's response? Surely it couldn't be him. My youngest son, he's a nobody. We're not even told his name here. He's just out looking after the sheep. He didn't even get brought to the the, um, dinner that Samuel got invited to. But it is him. And so Samuel takes out his horn of oil. And David, the youngest son of Jesse, is anointed. Verse 12. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. That's interesting, isn't it? See, it's not that David is ugly. It's not that God hates beautiful people and he can only use ugly people. No, it is irrelevant. God doesn't care what people look like on the outside. Good looking, not good looking, it doesn't matter. He's looking at David's heart. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David. And that's the first time we hear his name, David. The spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And finally, we have found the man, the king, after God's own heart. And the effect of all that suspense, the effect of drawing all that out, is that we are now on the edge of our seat, wondering to see what it will be that this anointed will do. What has God got in plan for King David? 
It's a bit like when that young Aussie boy, Jared Hayne, got chosen to play in the American football and everyone who was in football was watching to see how the young Australian would go, how it would turn out. Or when Cadell Evans was in the Tour de France and everyone was watching to see how he'd go. We're meant to be feeling that kind of anticipation. With all those promises from 1 Samuel 2 hanging in the air about what God will do with his anointed, how we will, he will fix things up, we turn the page into 1 Samuel 17 to see what it is, what is this great victory that God will bring about through this little king? Who's the great enemy that this little David will defeat? Now that's all for next week. So make sure you come back. But can you see what's happening in this chapter? God has chosen unimpressive little David to be his Messiah, his Christ, his anointed one, his king. And he has done it so that whatever the victory is that David might bring about, and we don't know what it is yet, whatever great enemy lies ahead as we turn the page, however it might be that David will defeat him, and we don't know that yet, one thing is clear. It won't be done through the strength of David. That's not how we'll win. It will be done because David has a heart that trusts the Lord. And that's what happens. I won't tell you who the enemy is and how he's defeated by David, but David's victory does come about because he trusts God. David's victory does come about because of his obedience. And God's victory through David is heard of all around the world. It'll be talked about, it'll be sung about, Bethlehem will become famous, Jerusalem will become famous. And all this will happen because of a young boy from Bethlehem who had a heart for God, who God chose to be his Messiah. But there's a twist in it all. Have you ever watched one of those mini-series on TV? I got sucked into one recently. And um, you get to the last episode of series one, and it's all just about to be tied up all so neatly, and just as it's all being wrapped up, right at the end, there's this little twist. And it leaves you hanging, and you've got to watch the next series to see what happens. Been there? With King David, there's a twist. Because when King David's enemies are defeated, when he is king, when he's ruling the nation of Israel from Jerusalem at the height of his reign, when it looks like everything is going so well and the promises are being fulfilled, David gets a visit from another prophet in 2 Samuel 7. And this prophet says, David, you're not the anointed one that was promised in 1 Samuel 2. There's actually another anointed coming, one of your descendants. And things are going to get even bigger. He's going to have a heart after me as well. But David, he will be even greater than you were. His kingdom will last forever. As good as David was, there's someone better coming. And as we read on in the Bible, we find out he won't just rule over Israel. He will rule over the entire world. And he won't just save Israel from the enemies around them. 
He will rescue God's people from the wrong that they do. He will bring God's people back to God. He will open the floodgates of forgiveness. And so as we skip ahead and we open the pages of the New Testament, there's even more anticipation than there was back in 1 Samuel 16. Because we are now on the edge of our seat wondering who will be this Lord's anointed that is even greater than King David. And then in Luke 2.11, an angel visits some shepherds and the angel says, Today, in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In other words, he is my anointed. The angels are announcing that Jesus is the anointed of 1 Samuel 2, even better than David, who will fix the problems of this world. And the people who knew Jesus, they said, really? This guy, this little guy? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Because like David, Jesus wasn't impressive on the outside. But he had a heart after God. And he would rescue his people. Not with an army, but through his obedience. Through trusting his father. Through his obedience to death on a cross. Perfectly obedient. We read in Mark 14, 36. This is Jesus' prayer as he faced his death. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Perfectly obedient to God. And he died in our place to bring us to God, to fix our mess. And like Israel would benefit from the victory that David brought about, we sit here today and we benefit from the victory that Jesus won. We have forgiveness. We're God's children. We've been welcomed home. We have the hope of eternal life. He's poured out his spirit into our hearts. We've been set free from the slavery that we had to sin, and it's all brought about by Jesus. And yet the world looks at Jesus and they see outward appearance. They see as man sees. And on the outside, Jesus does not look impressive. We saw it last week, didn't we? As Jesus hung on the cross, they mocked him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. God is inviting you, though, not to see Jesus as the world sees him. God is inviting you to see Jesus as God sees him. His Christ, who died for his people. God's Christ, who he raised from the dead. The Christ who is seated at the right hand of God and who offers forgiveness 
to anyone who comes to him. God's Christ who will return in power to judge every single person on this planet. And if you see Jesus as God sees Jesus, he is truly spectacular. The Lord doesn't look at things as man looks at things. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a world that judges things by externals and by appearance. And we even slip into that trap with ourselves and with each other. Father, please help us to never make that mistake about Jesus. Father, thank you that you have shown us clearly who he is. Thank you that you have shown us clearly the power that he has. And Father, as we see Jesus with real eyes, not just at the outward, but we see the power that you've given him and who he is, help us to marvel at him. Help us to love him. Help us to entrust our lives to him. Help us not to be embarrassed or ashamed about him. Father, help us to delight in him, to enjoy sharing with other people about him and to honour him with our lives. Amen.